Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. We have a better covenant upon better promises, and we have a better relationship with God. We were at such a desperate place that Andrew, it was like life. It was just life that was coming from the television. And every area in our life has been turned right side up. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Wednesday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today I'm in the middle of my second week of teaching on living in the balance of grace and faith. I tell you, this is a powerful, powerful teaching. This has changed my life. And here's a book, the very first book I ever... Uh, well, I'm not sure about that. I think I've been saying this is the first book I've ever written. But anyway, this is one of my very first books. I think it's been out over 20 years. And we're offering the book the study guide, the CDs, the DVDs, and um, this would just be a real blessing to you. I've already covered a lot of material, so I haven't got time to go back through it. But just recently, the last few days, I started talking from Hebrews chapter 4 about there remaining a rest for the people of God. And this isn't talking about rest where you lay down and do nothing. Matter of fact, it says in Hebrews 4.11 that you have to labor to enter into this rest. This is talking about a completion. It's talking about a you, you understanding that God has already provided everything that you ever will need and you just rest in this. You trust Him. Instead of believing that you've got to do something to get God to move and provide your needs, instead you rest in the fact that God by grace has already provided everything you will ever need and you just rest in that. And it takes faith to rest. It takes labor, effort to rest and to get to where you aren't feeling like, God, I've got to do something. I've got to get you motivated. I've got to somehow or another move you, motivate you to do something. No, God has already moved and I'm just resting in that. And then we started talking from Genesis chapter 1 about how Adam, everything was already created for him in advance and he entered into this rest where God had anticipated all of his needs. He didn't have to say, God, I need to breathe and God created air. God, I need to eat and God created food. God, I need water and God created water. No, God created all of these things in anticipation of what his needs would be. And when Adam needed something, all he had to do was just reach out and take it and say thank you. That is a great picture of the way that faith and grace work. God by grace has already provided our healing, our deliverance, our joy, our peace, our happiness. Everything that we need is already provided. But that doesn't mean it automatically works. We have to learn how to just reach out and take it by faith. Uh, Romans 5, 2 says we have access into this grace by faith. And then I was using Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And let me just go back through this. I'm going to make some more points today. In verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Those two verses there are loaded. Those are so controversial from what the average Christian lives today. The average Christian does not really live in this. There are people that just totally ignore 
all of the instructions of the Bible and just do whatever they want to. And then there's others that are stuck in the Old Testament and they are still trying to promote that you have to live by the dietary laws and by the feast days and the Sabbath day and stuff like this. And both of those are wrong. There was a purpose of the Old Testament law. They were pictures and shadows of things to come. But now we have the real body and we should no longer be stuck observing these things. And I was saying some radical stuff yesterday, specifically about the Sabbath, that there are people who consider themselves to be Sabbath keepers because they withdraw doing certain things on the Sabbath day. Did you know I was raised in a Christian home We didn't observe the Sabbath strictly, but we still had a semi-Sabbath mindset where we couldn't mow our lawn on the Sabbath day on Sunday, which isn't even the Sabbath. You know, let me just say this and then I'll move on with this. But I think that one of the reasons that the New Testament church started meeting on Sunday, which the Bible says was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It was the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week. And the reason that the church started meeting on Sunday was because they realized they were redeemed from the Sabbath, the Old Testament Sabbath observance of a day. And they specifically, intentionally met together on what they call the Lord's Day. And they had church on the first day of the week to make a clean break with the Sabbath. To me, that's obvious. And yet we have entire denominations today that, that pride themselves and know you've got to keep the Sabbath. And they go from sundown on Friday till sundown on Saturday, which is the Old Testament Sabbath time. And they believe that they are Sabbath keepers. They are actually Sabbath breakers because they're preaching that unless you observe this day and do certain things, then God won't bless you. They are, they are thinking that their observance of a day makes God bless them. When the truth is God by grace has already blessed them and it is not your observance of a day. And I've been teaching from Hebrews chapter 4 that we now have a Sabbath rest. I hadn't got time to go back and read those scriptures, but it was very clear that there is a rest, a relationship with God that the Old Testament Sabbath was a picture of. That's what it says here in Colossians 2, 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now that we have Christ in His physical person, we do not worship the shadow. There was a time that I was brought up, I wouldn't mow the lawn on a a Sunday. Uh, I remember when I first got into ministry, I went and held a three-day meeting. I was still in college. I I went and held this three-day meeting at a Baptist church. And on Sunday, the youth group of that Baptist church wanted to take me out to eat to a restaurant, and I wouldn't go. They had a party. They had all of the youth get together and they were going to a restaurant. I wouldn't go because I said, I am not going to go eat out on the Sabbath and pay somebody to work on the Sabbath and do all of this. Did you know I was wrong technically uh, because the Sabbath isn't Sunday. It's sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. But I thought I was somehow or another keeping the Sabbath. Many of you have seen that movie, um, Chariots of Fire, where Eric Little wouldn't run in the uh, trials uh, for the Olympics because it was on Sunday. And you know what? God honored his faith. His heart was right. His commitment to the Lord was right. There's some honorable things that you can take uh, instruction from and be inspired by. But technically speaking, the Sabbath isn't Sunday. It's sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. 
And so that's misplaced. And there's many New Testament Christians who think that Sunday is the Sabbath. It's not. And we do not have to observe that Sabbath, the withdrawal of a day. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay toll on Sunday and drive through the Dallas-Fort Worth Turnpike to go to church. I would drive the longer way around so that I wouldn't have to pay somebody toll on the Sabbath. I, at one time, I thought I was a real strict Sabbath keeper. I wouldn't go into a, a store if it was opened on Sunday. Even if it was Tuesday, I wouldn't go into it if they were open on Sunday because they were Sabbath breakers. That's the way I thought. There's a lot of people that think that. That's not true. The Sabbath, again, isn't Sunday. And the Sabbath in the New Testament isn't a day. And it's not observing a day. That was a picture of some New Testament reality. What was it a picture of? Well, let me turn over and show you what the Sabbath was a picture of. This is from Leviticus chapter 25. And I'm not going to take time to read all of these verses. Let me just pick out a few things. And it says in verse 4, it says, But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard, and that which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. And it goes on and talks about a Sabbath rest. Now there was two things in the Old Testament. There was a Sabbath that was once a week. That was a day, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And they had to take that Sabbath off and they could not work. They couldn't sell. They couldn't buy. They needed to take that day off and just devote it to worshiping the Lord and resting in the Lord. And you know what this is a picture of? You got to remember that in our day and age, especially in the United States, of course, we've got people watching this all over the world and some of these cultures differ. But in the United States, especially in the South where I grew up, uh, we used to have laws that you couldn't have things open on, on Sunday. We grew up with this concept of taking one day out of seven off. But in the time that this was given to the Israelites, when the Sabbath was first instituted, there was no such thing as this. It had never been in a culture. People were struggling. There was a curse upon the land and people worked hard. I mean, sun up till sundown, seven days a week to provide and to plant their crops and get rid of the weeds and take out the rocks and do all of this. And it took work constantly. And so every person on the face of the earth at this time was working nonstop day and night just to make a living. And then God's people come out of Egypt and God commanded them to take one day out of seven off and just take it for a time to worship the Lord and to reflect on Him. Did you know at that time that was radical? Nobody did that. They didn't have a 40-hour work week. They had a seven-day work week and they worked all day, sun up to sundown. So for the Jews to take off one day out of seven was just radical. And the logical thought about this would be that if I only work six days and yet these people over here that aren't Jews are working seven days, well, then they're going to be more prosperous. They are going to be more blessed. Their crops are going to work better because they have put more work and more effort into it. And did you know in the natural, if you didn't factor God into it and God, it says in, in Genesis chapter two, he blessed the seventh day and he put a special blessing 
on that day. If you don't factor God and His blessing into it, it would be true that if you work less, you are going to prosper less than a person who works more. But because this was God, He was trying to get across to these people that I'm your source. Even though you are planting seed and even though you're digging furrows and you're you're watering and you're doing different things. You are working, but it's me that's your source. I'm the one who's your supply. And even though you have to do certain things, that's faith, you need to be putting faith in my grace. You need to be trusting me and seeing me as your source. So how is it that he got people to see that and trust him? Because they were working and they were working hard. How is it that you see God as your source when you're working? Well, it was real simple. He says, take one day out of seven off and I'll bless you more than if you work seven days out of seven. And so the Israelites observed this and sure enough, I mean, they began to prosper and their fields brought forth more. They had more abundance. They had more of a supply than the people who worked seven days a week. And it wasn't because working less produces more. It was because trusting God and putting faith in Him and seeing Him as your source allowed there to be this supernatural blessing of God on it and they prospered. And just in case anybody missed that, I believe that was very obvious. But just in case anybody missed that, right here, these verses that I read you out of Leviticus chapter 25, they were also commanded to take one year out of seven off. And He says that that which grew of itself during the seventh year, they couldn't eat it. They couldn't reap it. They had to leave it for the people that were poor. They had to leave it for the beast of the field to come in and eat. But you couldn't reap your own things that grew naturally in the seventh year. You had to take that entire seventh year off. Now, how would they ever make it then? Just in case anybody missed that God was blessing them by working only six out of seven days and He was blessing them more than the people who worked seven out of seven days, in case they missed that, here was the people of Israel commanded to take one year out of seven off. How would that ever work? Look at this over in Leviticus chapter 25 and in verse 20 it says, And if you shall say, What shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Then will I command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years, and you shall sow the eighth year, and shall eat of the old fruit until the ninth year, until her fruits come in, ye shall eat of the old store. So the Lord says, in case anybody says, how are we ever going to make it if we take one year out of seven off? He says, just like clockwork, on the sixth year, I'll bless you with three times a normal harvest that'll carry you through the sixth year, through the seventh year and through the eighth year while you're sowing your crops and you won't be able to reap until the ninth year. And so in case anybody missed this, here was God's supernatural blessing. And it showed that even though they were doing things, it was not their effort that was really causing this supply because on the sixth year, they would get three times a normal crop so that it would carry them through that seventh and eighth year when they weren't sowing and then when they were waiting on their crops to come up. It was, a, it was a supernatural deal about even though you're working, it's not your effort, it's your God that is your supply and you need to trust Him. You know, I've already made this application earlier, but this is just a perfect place to make it that this is why giving is so important. It's because God needs to be our source. I believe God hates this kind of 
relationship where people just give him one hour a week on Sunday or they give him a little devotion, a 10 or 15, 20 minute devotion in the morning. Not to say that that's bad, but if that's all it is, God hates that kind of thing where you can departmentalize your life and on Sundays you seek God and then the rest of the week you just are bitter and angry and you will manipulate and lie and steal and gossip and do things and you have your religious life and then you have your secular life. God hates that. God wants all of us. He wants you 24-7. God wants everything about you and me. And I believe that since we spend more time working than anything else, God wants us to trust Him and see Him as the source of our supply. And some of you might think, well, God's not the source of my supply. I work for this money. I worked hard. I worked 50 hours, 60 hours. I did this. Boy, it's by the sweat of my brow. If I don't work and do it, it won't get done. I saw this movie one time. I think it was Shenandoah. I'm not sure about that, but I think it was Gary Cooper and he wasn't really a religious man, but his wife wanted him to pray over the food and he didn't want to do it, but finally, begrudgingly, he prayed over the food and finally he, he said something like, God, I planted this seed. I plowed the ground. I fertilized it. I took the weeds out. I did all of this. I worked. This food is a result of all of my effort, but then... Thank you. And it was some kind of prayer like that. His heart wasn't really in it. And there's a lot of people that this is the way they feel, that God's not my source. I worked for all of this money. But the truth is, God is the source of everything that we get. Did you know whatever talents you have, whatever gift you have that enables you to work and make a living, if you're an artist, if you're an accountant, did you know that there are certain people that just have these bents? They just have an ability to see numbers and to deal with things. If you're an administrator, if you're a person that has a talent like, you know, in construction and you can build things and do things, you might be able to develop a skill that God gave you, but you can't develop what God didn't put in. You know, I can carry a tune. I can sing. I sing in the shower. I, I put on my headphones and I sing and you turn the volume up loud enough, I can't tell it's not me. But I'm not gifted as a singer. Now, I could go take training and I could probably become better at it than I am, but that is not my gifting. You know, I have been, God has called me to minister and He's given me an ability to teach. It's supernatural. And it, it takes relative little effort because it is a gift from God. Now, I can develop it, and I've been ministering now for over 47 years, and you know I'm better at it than I used to be. Some of you think I'm still not very good, but boy, it's a lot better than it used to be. Amen. I haven't arrived, but I've left. And, but I can't do things that I'm not gifted and anointed by God to do. Whether you realize it or not, God gave you those talents. God gave you that ability. All God would have to do is just stir up the chemicals in your brain just a little bit, and I guarantee you, you'd be having drool come off your chin. You would be sitting there. You would be in a mental institution. You didn't cause yourself to be able to think properly. You didn't give yourself the health. You didn't give yourself all of these talents and abilities. Whether you recognize it or not, God is your source, and He wants you to recognize Him as your source. So how is it that He gets you to trust Him and see Him as your source when it comes to finances and work? It's real simple. 
He says, give me a portion of what you've got. And if there wasn't a God who is your source and who is going to supernaturally bless you and multiply, when you give, it says Luke 6, 38, given it shall be given back unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. If there wasn't a God who made that promise, then to take a portion of what you've got and give it away defies logic. You're moving away from your goal instead of towards it. But when you give, the reason God wanted us to give is not because He needs your money, not because God is broke, not because if you don't give, I'm going to have to go off the television and do all of these things. No, God asked you to give for your sake, for you to trust Him and to say, Father, I trust you and I'm not only saying it, I'm proving it. I'm going to take 10%, 20%, whatever it is, and I'm going to give. And as I give... This would make no sense if I didn't trust your promise, but I trust you. I see you as my source, and so I'm trusting in you, and I expect to prosper. And I can personally testify there are millions of people that have done this, and they give. And when you give, you actually have more than when you keep it all because God will supernaturally bless you. And see, that's what happened here on this year, this Sabbath year. The people would not sow their crops. They wouldn't work their field. They wouldn't harvest what grew naturally and in the natural. How is that going to work? How are we going to survive? God would bless them with three times a normal harvest on the sixth year that would carry them all the way through till the ninth year. And it was because they made God their source. This is why God instituted the Sabbath is to show man that I am the source of everything. Even though you're working your fields, even though you're herding your cattle, even though you're working and building and doing things, I am your source. And to prove it, I want you to take one day out of seven off. To prove it, I want you to take one year out of seven off. And I'm going to bless you. And the Sabbath was all about trusting the Lord, resting in the Lord, even though you do certain things, it was not your labor that your faith was in. Your faith was really in your God. It was in your covenant with your God. And to prove it, you took one day off. To prove it, you took one year out of seven off. And that's what the Sabbath was all about. Now, in the new covenant, we have a Sabbath rest that it's not about the observance of a day, but it's about you resting in what Jesus has done for you and not you feeling like you have to do something to motivate God and make God move and perform. Thanks to the support of our friends and partners, Karis Bible College is able to reach more people with the gospel than ever before through the continued expansion of our Phase Two building project. For the latest information on the Phase Two construction update, go to awmi.net. I'd like to give you a special invitation to join me on April the 12th and the 13th for our David musical. I tell you, this is powerful. We had one performance of it at our dedication back in the month of November. It was spectacular. We are going to have two performances on the 12th and then again on the 13th of April. I know that Christian and musicals don't usually go together, but this is top drawer. It will minister to you, and it's a great way to share the gospel with some people that might not come to something else. It's going to be at our facility in Woodland Park, Colorado, April the 12th and 13th. Check it out, The David Musical. You can go to awmi.net for more information. We hope you were blessed by today's episode of The Gospel Truth. 
Andrew and Jamie wish to share their sincere gratitude for all the grace partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your generous partnership enables us to take the gospel, the nearly too good to be true news to the ends of the earth. May God richly bless you for your faithfulness. If you're not already partnering with Andrew Womack Ministries, we encourage you to join us in this great harvest today. I would really like to encourage you to get this teaching on living in the balance of grace and faith. I think this really just summarizes the position that God has given me in the body of Christ. It seems like you have people that are either into faith or into grace, but very seldom are the two combined, and this teaching would transform your life. I've got a book in English. I've got one in Spanish. We have a study guide here that is the same material. It's just reformatted so that you can disciple other people. You can print out the questions in here. And then we have a CD set of this exact same teaching. And then I have two different DVDs to offer you. One that was taken from our television program and the other one was taken live from one of my uh, meetings that I've held. So please listen to our announcer, respond today, and get this material on living in the balance of grace and faith. Andrew's teaching titled, Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith, is available as a live teaching on either CD or DVD, or in a DVD set as seen on TV. You can also get this teaching as a book or study guide in either English or Spanish. Or you can get the Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith package, which includes your choice of either the CD or DVD album, the book, and the study guide. This package has a catalog value of $85, but you can get it today for only $60. Also, today's individual audio CD is available for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give, but if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. You can order resources or become a Grace Partner through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download many free resources. Or call our helpline at 719-635-1111. If you'd like to write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and I just want to thank you for being a part of our social media. We are seeing some great things happen. I just wanted to share some of these testimonies with you of things that have happened recently that we got testimonies through the postings that we put on social media. One of them says, I thank God first for allowing me to read on this page, Hallelujah, I was a Muslim, but by the grace of Lord Jesus Christ, He called me to become His son, and I am a born-again Christian. Praise the Lord. Man, that right there is awesome. Another testimony says, I was healed tonight while watching Andrew on Healing is Here. I've had chronic back pain, been to many doctors, and have been taking medicine strength Motrin for more than 15 years. I am completely healed and free of pain for the first time. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Andrew, for the healing word. So these are things that are coming out of the social media uh, ministry, and I would like to encourage you to be a part of this. These testimonies could be amplified many times over if we just had more people participating in it. So thank you for being a part of it. God bless you, and share 
this uh, ministry with other people. I'd like to invite you to come to our 2019 Men's Advance. I'm going to have back James Brown and Tony Dungy. And these guys are just awesome. They've been with me the last year or two, and we have had a wonderful time. This is also the first time we will have used our brand new auditorium for the Men's Advance. And guarantee you, the ministry of myself, James Brown, and Tony Dungy will be great. Remember, that's March the 14th through the 16th at the Sanctuary in Woodland Park.